Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. Welcome to another episode of Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through Scott Christensen's book on evil, right? What about evil? A defense of God's sovereign glory. And now we've, we're, we began last time looking at this kind of pinnacle chapter 9 where he deals with some of these. He begins to give us his answers to some of the issues that he's raised earlier in the book, right? And, uh, you know, for instance, if indeed God is sovereign over all of his creation and he does all of these decrees, then why isn't God responsible for evil, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the name of this chapter, the challenge of moral responsibility, right? Is God responsible for the evil? And and we've looked at, uh, you know, various arguments to show that, you know, the origin of evil has to do with the intentions of our hearts, our motives, our desires. And of course, God doesn't have evil uh, desires, um, whereas we do. And so that's a big, uh, you know, uh, issue in this chapter and a and a way that he what he uses to help him to defend you know the claim that God isn't morally responsible mm-hmm. we are right he uses the analogy of an author right that uh you know Shakespeare writes this book and yet uh you know we wouldn't say that Shakespeare um does the action in the book right the characters do the action and so there's a kind of a two-tiered uh, causal mechanism going on, right? Mm-hmm. The ultimate, the primary cause, and then the secondary cause. Right. And he suggests that's the way, uh, at least to a certain degree, right? Not perfectly, but to a certain degree, that's the way it works with regard to God. It, it's, right? a, it's a real practical world application that we we constantly do. If we're watching a, a TV show and we're like, or reading a comic book, oh, Lex Luthor is so bad. But Superman is so good, and so we we attribute those qualities to the character, but we don't go, oh well, you know, um, uh, Eisner is, is is the one that writes Superman really well, and, and or uh, he he does the action of Superman really well, and so I really like that. We 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 talk about good quality writing, but sometimes like uh, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, like Zack Snyder was was. Um, pooed against was because Batman kills people. Batman doesn't kill people. That's one of his characters. It's outside the scope of Batman's character to kill people. Well, here's how I wrote it, and here's how I thought of, of the characters is what, what Snyder would say. Yeah. But we, we, we have those, those uh, attributions of good quality writing, but we don't say that they're the ones that do the action. Right. So there's the, the writer isn't the one that's doing the action. It's the character right. that's doing the action. And so, and, and, and so, you know, he uses this to kind of help him to, you know, deflect and fact answer this issue of moral responsibility. And again, he talks about good intentions and that God has good intentions. And so this next section then in the chapter has to do with uh, compatibilism and moral responsibility. Right. He says biblical compatibilism, that is the compatibility of divine and human choosing, what God chooses, what we chooses, helps us, he tells us, to sort out where moral responsibility lies. While God authors the plot, as it were, in which evil takes place for his good purposes, it is only secondary agents who bear the moral culpability right? The blameworthiness for the evil that God decrees. Mm -hmm. So God does not act on behalf of the choosing agent. The agent himself or herself deliberately, willingly, 
voluntarily acts without any uh, divine coercion. Right. God isn't forcing <clears throat> it. It's coming out of the evil desires of the right. person's heart. This, this right. is the, the puppeteer. He's, yeah. he's not puppeteering. He's not, right. he's not uh, entering into this person, making them robotically move to, to his will. They're doing it out of their own uh, heart's desires. Right. right. So God can never, he says, be the efficient cause of evil. It's, uh, it's not the transcendent God who sins. Right. God isn't sinning when right. I do something. It's the creaturely agent who intends evil and then acts on those evil intentions. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Uh, so I think one of the, the biggest and best uh, illustrations of this is in uh, Genesis with the story of Joseph. And uh, we, we saw this as a, as a big factor in his other book, uh, uh, What About Free Will? And he says, for instance, uh, in the story of Joseph, there is a dual explanation for Joseph's being sold into slavery. His brothers did the deed. They, they sold his brother into uh, captivity, mm-hmm. but God stood behind their action. In fact, uh, it, it says that God uh, restrained them from killing him. They 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 wanted to kill him, but then brother comes along and says, "No, no, no, let's let's not do that. That that would be bad. I know. Let's just sell him into slavery away from us, and then let's lie to our father that's, that he, 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 he was died. dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> way, way way better. <laughs> yeah." His brothers did the deed, but God stood behind their actions. God is the primary agent, while they are secondary agents. Both intended the evil to take place, but they have different uh, culpabilities, responsibilities there. The difference lies in the internal desires that birthed their intentions. For Joseph brothers, their actions were born of a hateful motive. They meant evil. What you intended for evil for God though the evil could be born of nothing other than a good motive because that's who he is. He's transcendent, his characteristic, he doesn't have a sin nature, and so he only has, by that logic, a good motive to deliver his chosen people from certain doom. What they intend for evil, God meant it for good. All right, so again, this issue of intention is doing a lot of work right. for him here, right? And <clears throat> the fact that we intend to do evil, to disobey God and to act contrary to what he wants, that's that's uh, makes us morally responsible for what we do, right? Because what we do is coming out of our evil intentions. God, on the other hand, when he decrees an evil action, isn't first morally responsible for mm-hmm. it because the creatures do it, but second, he isn't evil because he has good intentions, right? He doesn't have an evil heart. He doesn't have evil motives, right? So that's where. So this has a tremendous practical importance. It causes us to realize that evil does not occur independently. It has no power of its own. No evil, no demon, no satanically inspired scheme can surprise God escaping his notice. Again, it's not God and Satan having an arm wrestling match over over the earth. It's the devil is God's devil. We're God's. Uh, evil uh, creation that he uh, redeems. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, no evil scheme exists outside of his all-powerful hand or his all-wise and all-good purposes. And finally, the perpetrator of sin can never say, God made me do this, as though he were being forced against his will. God effectively ensures his sin, but God emphatically did not sin his sin, no more than Shakespeare's sins of the sins of Macbeth. The only sin that exists is that which exists in the heart of the willful perpetrator. Right, exactly. So God doesn't do the sin, right? The individual does the sin. And so the individual is culpable, is the one to be blamed, right? Mm -hmm. So now we have 
what he's struggling with here, or not struggling, but what he's trying to help us see here is the compatibility here, right. the compatibilist uh, position where our free will can be compatible with God's uh, decrees and God's, you know, um, carrying out what he wants to accomplish. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he says there's no conflict then between human choosing and divine choosing, between human freedom and divine freedom. There's no conflict between primary and secondary causation. Uh, between the plot that the divine author writes and the actors who willingly carry it out. Furthermore, he says, God is free to sovereignly will that which his moral will has commanded us not to do. Right. Right? Therefore, when his creatures willingly transgress his clear moral will written on their hearts, Romans chapter 2, in service of his secret and sovereign will, they will bear the demands of his irreproachable justice. In the end, he tells us, reconciling God's uh, meticulous sovereignty with the matrix of divine and human freedom, and particularly moral responsibility, is not the insurmountable task that so many detractors have suggested. Right. right. So, so he's, he's using uh, a, a means to get to the ends. He, he declares the means as well as the ends. And so... I was trying to think of a, a um, an analogy for this. And so I said, God uses sinful men to accomplish his purpose. That That's the desire. And so this is like a king utilizing his troops to, to go to war. But you know who he, who he wouldn't use? He wouldn't use the, the maidens, the noblemen, the, the farmers. He would use the military. And so God is accomplishing his goals with the appropriate troops, sinful men. Right. So he's able to do that. He's not sinning. He's not. He's not the the person that's carrying out the the war. He's decreeing that it will happen by these people. So mm-hmm. again, all analogies break down, but uh, uh, that's how I kind of envisioned it. With me. Uh, so moving on to the enigma of the fall, and so here's the hardest part because the answer is. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of a mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one is is tough, right? Yeah. And so, and as a good philosopher, he realizes that there's some problems with mm-hmm. his particular position. And so here, he's going to at least attempt to address the main big problem with his position, right? Right. right. So, of all the questions concerning the existence of evil, every single one, however, none is more perplexing than that of uh, the uh, primeval origins. What is ultimately responsible for the emergence of evil in the perfectly good world of our freshly created parents, Adam and Eve? Mm-hmm. Man was not created as a blank slate, equally poised between good and evil. And that's Pelagian error. Uh, heresy, killed for that. <laughs> and what <laughs> Back under, in the day. Yeah, back right? in the day. <laughs> now it's probably, uh, you probably created college off, off of it. <laughs> so the Pelagian error would, would undercut the goodness of God's creation. Uh, you know this tabula rasa. It's it's you have the ability to choose uh, between the two. You're 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 this blank slate, and there right. are big big issues with that. But and we're all we're all born like that. We don't have original sin. That's right. the Pelagian. Right. I mean that, that right. that's a big one. Right. But if humans were created in a state of moral purity, well, then how could they have so easily fallen into sin? Right. So if it's out of our desires that moves us, and we have evil desires, well, what about the people that? didn't start with evil that desires. didn't have an evil heart that didn't have a you know a, a wicked heart how did they sin right, right? that's the issue that uh, you know he calls the yeah. enigma of the fall right. right and no one has thought about the, this issue no one the, the, the reformers <laughs> didn't write about it for 500 years it's not currently being written about 
Uh, it, 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 so you think you have the, the, well, what about this one? It has at least been discussed and it, it hasn't detracted completely from right. the idea that is out there. As actually well. they have, and they've dealt with this and, you know, and tried to work through it. He gives us actually several ways to try to overcome this one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, you know, he talks about, uh, he says the standard Christian response to the question of evil's origin is that Adam and Eve possess libertarian free will before the fall. So that's one way, right? But he says, reformed thought affirms that the first couple indeed had free will, but not necessarily libertarian free will. Most reform accounts of pre-fall freedom are commensurate with compatibilism, right? So it was a both and with regard to uh, uh, God. He says, uh, for instance, Augustine's dictum that pre-fall Adam was able to sin and not and able not to sin. And he says, most reformed thinkers have affirmed like this, right? Uh, he looks at the Reformed theologian McLeod, uh, and he states that Adam's choice was foreordained as a, a free act uh, not caused by any prior event or circumstance uh, within the causal nexus, right? So McLeod here attempts to deal with this. Mm-hmm. He looks at, um, you know, uh, another Reformed compatibilist, compatibilist account of freedom that we have, uh, that he defended. He says compatibilism, uh, you know, and, you know, this is kind of where he's going here. So he's given us several ways to attempt to deal with this, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he says, so the reformed compatibilist account of freedom that, you know, he's been defending uh, doesn't automatically solve this problem, right? Compatibilism, he says, indicates that our actions arise from the state of our nature. We do what uh, what flows out of our evil hearts, right? mm-hmm. which in turn are, uh, give rise to the particular desires and motives that determine the direction of our choices. A perfectly good nature, Adam and Eve, <laughs> we would think, right. you know, pre-fall. It's fine. Just leave them, leave them out That's there. That's right. Uh, produces perfectly good desires, which produce perfectly good choices. Likewise, a corrupt nature uh, produces corrupt desires and choices. So if no defective internal condition could have possibly predisposed Adam and Eve to act contrary to their good nature, then what did, right? And again, that's the issue, right? Mm -hmm. If indeed sin comes out of an evil nature, it comes out of the heart, which is predisposed to sin against God as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. Well, what about Adam and Eve who didn't have that heart initially? Where then did they predisposition, their predisposition to sin come from? Right. Right. So this seems to point us to a troublesome thought that given the reformed doctrine of divine sovereignty, God was the direct cause of Adam and Eve's sin. Here's where he plays the puppet master and forces the, <laughs> the fruit in their mouth. Got him. Yeah. yeah. And so he's responsible. Right? <laughs> Note that we cannot simply resort to the notion that they were deceived by the satanically inspired serpent, which is certainly true, for this simply pushes the question back to 
how Satan, created in a state of goodness himself, could have fallen without an antecedent corrupt right. nature right. So moving him in that direction. Right, so it just pushes the, the issue <laughs> right. back, right? right? Well, who, who made who made everyone on Earth? <laughs> aliens. Okay. okay, well, who made <laughs> the aliens? Yeah. Well, bigger aliens. Yeah. Aliens all the way down. And so he says, reform thinking cannot revert even to, you know, this what we've seen here, libertarian free will as an explanation of Adam and Eve's a sinful choice, since libertarianism must be, uh, must entertain indeterminism, that is the issue the idea that they could choose anything without a basis right yeah. and so Apart we don't want God that yeah well. yeah so libertarianism necessarily rules out you know as you said god's determination of what adam chooses to do such freedom is incompatible with a god who decrees and providently and insu- providentially ensures that the fall take place so yeah, the, and, and not just take place but before the foundation of the world that was the plan. That's right. what he was going to do. That's what in, in the in the the triune Godhead was determined. And uh, there are good discussions on on sonship and uh, the eternality of that uh, that comes about uh, from issues like this. But it happened not as God was looking at Adam, going, "Is he, is he, is he going yeah. to? Is he going to?" Oh man, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jesus, you're on. <laughs> yeah. And, and forty four hundred years. Go. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the yeah. idea of libertarianism, right. right? This indeterminism. You don't know. God doesn't know what they're going to do, and he has to kind of react and, you know, right. all that kind of right. stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, Bavik suggests, and I, I really like this quote. This I, I got a lot of good ideas from this. So he says, the, the possibility of sinning is from God. The idea of sin was first conceived in his mind. God eternally conceived sin in his absolute polar opposite, and thus, in that sense, included it in his decree, or else it would never have been able to rise and exist in reality. That's the 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 necessariness of of that idea. Mm-hmm. It flows from what's been presented of God in this perspective. It was not Satan. It wasn't Adam and Eve who first conceived the idea of sin. God Himself, as it were, made it visible to their eyes by means of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the probationary command. He clearly showed human beings the two roads that could they could take. And before the fall, he even permitted an evil power from without to insinuate itself into paradise. Of course, Satan, mm-hmm. using the snake as the medium and to discuss with Eve the meaning and uh, uh, of the probationary command. There, there is therefore no doubt that God willed the possibility of sin. So again, this is not something outside of God that enters in. This wasn't an unknown quality. This is what he wanted and used and was able to bring about. And again, when, when we talk about author, go back to that idea of how we think about authorship. So uh, God is not the one uh, doing the sin. He's the one that's decreeing it. Exactly. Different. And so he's, but he says when Bavnik is, uh, talks about God, you know, um, will the possibility of sin, he thinks that Bavnik is still being too cautious here, right? <laughs> right. God did not merely will the possibility of sin. Right. He willed its eventuality, right? right? Uh, and so there are several things to note about this condition that he wants us to be aware of that God set forth to ensure that the fall would take place, right? What did God do to ensure that his decrees would be carried right. out? Well, first, he placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, testing our first parents with the you know, probationary command. So that was kind of, you know, 
I mean, just remove it. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, right. Sin, sin is solved. They're, they're, he Don't says, make the decree. He says there's nothing, you know, um, that suggests the tree was inherently evil, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. That it would defy the goodness of God's creation. But why place the tree there? Why not make every tree, you know, freely edible without consequences? Mm-hmm. Well, clearly, God was setting something up here, right? Right, right. So this isn't again. This isn't a surprise. This is this is something that God seems to have premeditated. Yeah. <laughs> a second, God could have easily prevented the serpent from slithering into the garden to tempt Adam and Eve, you know, uh, or walking. Yeah. Slithering <laughs> came later. Yeah. <laughs> After all, he later set cherubim in, in place to prevent the first couple from re-entering the garden after they had sinned. Why not cut off temptation at the pass? Mm. While we cannot speculate about the secret counsels of God, one wonders whether an undisclosed conversation ensued between God and Satan, such as occurred concerning Job. You know, Satan entered into it and said, uh, you know, God said, look at 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 my perfect creation. Yeah, Yeah, Adam and Eve, right? And Satan says, well, I can make them (laughs) (laughs) sin. And God says, yes, you can. Go, go Go for it. Uh, in which God in, in initiated the calamity that befell the righteous man through the evil machinations of Satan. Right. So God didn't have to put the tree there. He could have prevented the, the serpent from coming in. Third, God could have constituted man with a nature that precluded the possibility of sinning, mm-hmm. right? The sort of nature that, you know, he will have, we'll have in our glorified state in heaven, right? We are, once we're glorified, uh, we then... God don't sin anymore, right? Mm-hmm. We're changed, we're glorified, we're different creatures, well, a, a, right? And we're 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 uh, a people, a people group saved by God's uh, adding to us His righteousness. It's not something that's inherently in us that we're we're able to be saved and perfected. God has to enter our hearts; He has to change it. And he has to set his spirit in us. So he's he's doing a more powerful work than us just being good uh, th- throughout you know all of humanity's history. He's he's even more glorified in this because he's taking something broken and reforming it and he's and made ta- it better. He, he's taking uh, a people group following our, our father Satan and adopting us as sons and daughters so that we can call Christ our, our first uh, born brother. Mm. I mean, th- that's, that's an amazing thing. That's a, a, an even greater work than just, uh, we didn't eat from the tree. All right. Good job, guys. Yeah, the, way to go. Yeah, hit the showers. <laughs> <laughs> he says in Augustinian language, uh, we would say that humans will be fully redeemed and glorified creatures who are not able to sin ever again, right? And so he says it would appear from these facts alone, right, the fact that uh, here's the tree, don't eat of it, right, and here's the snake. Well, actually, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't listen to him or, you know, I made you perfect. You can't sin. No, God didn't do any of that right. stuff, right? No, it would have been. Yeah, there, right. There's nothing that necessitates that he that he had to not do that. Right, right. And so he says it would appear from these facts alone that God deliberately intended the fall to take place, right? But he says, does this then mean that he has the uh, he was a direct cause of the first sin, right? Well. What we can say with confidence is this, what Adam and Eve did, they did of their own accord, willingly and uncompelled by God or Satan, such that they alone are to be blamed for their actions. Uh, God 
is not shoveling the fruit into their mouth. Satan is not <laughs> is not whipping it in with his tail and like ah, I got you. Uh, you accidentally ate it and right. and you you woke up and all of a sudden you realized you were naked. No, no, they they did it of their own accord. Mm. Uh, they alone are to be blamed for their actions. God did not infuse them with evil thoughts and desires or with an evil will. That would be God uh, kind of willing that evil then. And here we must return to Augustine's insight that we should not look for an efficient cause of evil. It has a deficient cause, and that is like trying to see darkness or to hear silence. Right. So here it's like, you know, the sun illustration that we saw from Jonathan Edwards, right? right? The sun doesn't cause the darkness, right? It's darkness is a deficiency. It happens when the sun is not there, Mm -hmm. right? The sun, the efficient effect of the sun is light and warmth, not darkness and cold, right? And so that's what he's, that's what he's getting at here, Mm -hmm. right? This is a nonetheless God determined Adam and Eve to fall. Thus, we cannot avoid crossing over the inscrutable nether regions here. Indeed, no theological persuasion can avoid the inscrutable realities at this point. At its core, sin is inexplicable. And that kind of is how he attempts to solve this, right? He says, basically, and of course, we all know this in our hearts, that sin is inexplicable. I mean, it's it's uh, ridiculous. I mean, why would we sin against a perfect loving God, right? It just doesn't make sense. God is after our, our best interests. He knows our best interests. And so why in the world would we go against that? Mm-hmm. It, we, it's uh, inexplainable, right? Why we would do something like that. Uh, and so, you know, that's, uh, so that's how he lands with regard to, to this particular problem right. uh, about Adam and Eve's sin, right? Yes, it's inexplicable why they would do something like this, uh, you know. So what he's done here is he said, look, sin comes from an evil heart. It's a result of our desires, right, our t- intentions. That's where sin comes mm-hmm. from. Uh, but uh, ultimately, sin is inexplicable. And we can see this in Adam and Eve because they didn't initially have the evil heart, right? And yet they did sin, right? And so he says it's, you know, there's no way to explain it. Right? He ends here by saying, uh, herein lies something to cling to, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing as monumental and consequential as the fall could have been an accident. Oops, right? <laughs> they did eat the tree. No, God set all that up, right. right? You know, it wasn't a risk or an unforeseen side effect of some other desirable condition. Most theologians have proposed libertarian free will as a desirable condition of pre-fall humanity. But knowing the risk of gratuitous evil, that is evils for evil's sake or evil for no sake, right. just gratuitous, gratuitous evil, and its other uh, devastation is too high a price to pay for such a brand of freedom. Right. Especially since it is demonstrably unnecessary for a good world. Uh, You know, God wouldn't allow this libertarian freedom because it's too risky. Right. Too too many things might happen. And so uh, so that he's that's one of the arguments against libertarian freedom. Right. Seems like you you would need to be an open theist at that point in time, and and just God's reacting and and he's balancing the saucers and he's spinning it and hope hope none of them fall. <laughs> he's just a really good balancer and plate spinner, right? And so he says, you know, this this uh, this risk is truly inexplicable if you're coming from it from a libertarian <laughs> perspective, right? right? Right. 
So this uh, points to the fall as having a grander set of divine goals that would be unrealized if it never happens. So notice this makes the fall a uh, a good thing. I mean, God, God is trying to accomplish something through it, right? right? Right. Again, there's there's no evil will within him. So the the fall is not uh, him cackling in the background and saying. Uh, oh, oh, oh uh, this this mankind is, is thinks they have it so good. Well, I'll show them. Right. And again, what what does Scripture tell us? That 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 that's that's the the big um, moniker here is what are we pulling out of Scripture? Not not what do we want to happen? What what can we set as our our uh, stacking of, of philosophies and, and kind of referring to scripture from time to time and finding a good process. What, what did the people uh, that wrote the Bible understand? What did, uh, what did the people at the time would understand? And also um, referring to things of, of being uh, planned before the foundation of the world, before those uh, weird people s- s- suddenly started making their own decisions. What happened? There was already a plan in place, and so we have to deal with that. And it's it's a straightforward way, and it's it's you know oh um, my way is just the straightforward reading the Bible, and that's all <laughs> that is. But you kind of have to deal with a lot of those in, in in response to this. Yeah. So this points to the fall as having a grander set of divine goals and unrealized if it never happened. If God deliberately uh, purposed and ensured that the fall would occur, well, why wouldn't the world ha- would have been better off without it? What possible good could outweigh the devastating disease and which evil has infected the world? Mm. Let us tune in next time as we (laughs) explore an unremarkable answer to that question in the next chapter. All right. So that's how he ends this chapter, by the way, with that cliffhanger, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. Right. What what in the world, what's going on here? And why would God do that? And why would he want that as opposed to what other worlds he could have had, right? And he says, stay tuned. Yeah. Humanity has fallen. Will it continue to fall? There's no jump cut here that comes about in cheesy editing, really bad editing. But uh, yes, again, chapter nine, uh, it was one of those where if I, I should have went back and highlighted what I didn't want to highlight. Uh, and I, I had a lot of side notes that uh, explored in my mind uh, different different aspects of and questions and and uh, other topics that brought up, and I, I really, really enjoyed this chapter. I, I, I really like chapter two, but um, boy, chapter nine was really good. Yeah. And we didn't cover it all. Right. And we couldn't have covered it all. And what, what made it good is he started giving us some of his answers to some right. of these issues right. that we've been struggling with, right? right? Yeah. We, we all like to complain about our boss, but once we become the boss, that's that's where things take place. And so here's his plan, and he's setting out his plan, starting with transcendence, and then dealing with aspects of, it's God, this, this uh, malevolent author of, of evil. Well, hold on. What do you mean by author of evil? Right, and right. so breaking down like that. So yeah. again, we suggest you get the book. What about evil? A defense of God's sovereign glory. Give uh, Scott Christensen some uh, good reviews out there. If, uh, if you're reading along with us, um, he's, he's uh, been on our show before and engaged uh, very well. And we appreciate him and his, his work in this. And we'll see if he can pull out a theodicy because we still don't have really a theodicy where yeah. we were, we're staying tuned and uh, you know, we're only halfway through the book. Mm-hmm. Really, so more than halfway, but yeah. So hopefully you'll uh, join us uh, back next time as, uh, as we uh, undergo our uh, What About Evil? See you next time.